Wow, see, one thing I usually know is Ricky's going to be sitting in the front row, but, you know, when I come here. All right, we're going to look at Acts in the first chapter. We're going to look at two different disciples that are mentioned here, starting with the 15th verse. So Acts 1 and verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. And the Lord, if you remember in the first part of this chapter, has just returned and the disciples asked him just prior to his return if he was gonna set up his kingdom and he told them no. And he told them no. And then as he ascended into heaven, the two men in white said, this same Jesus will come again. The Holy Spirit has not been given yet. We have not reached the day of Pentecost. And so in verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of names together were about 120 men and brethren. This scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was a guide to them that took Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as the field is called in their proper tongue, Aseldama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, and his, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, of these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto this same day that he has taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the heart of all men, showed whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And the Lord will add a blessing to the reading of his word. And the two individuals we would like to contrast tonight is Judas and Matthias, both very interesting characters. One we know quite a bit about. One the Lord said, as your friend, are you going to kick me with your heel? In other words, you pass me in friendship, but when you're on the other side, you kick back your heel and you kick me in the back. He's the one he said, go and do what thou must do, and he departed and it was night. This was the disciple who was with him a lot. It's a well-known disciple, someone we know a lot about. We know he was greedy. We know he kept the money bag. And so when the Spikenard was 
alabaster box was broken. He said, could not this have been sold and the money given to the poor? And John tells us it's, the reason he said that is because he kept the book. He kept the purse. He had the checkbook, so to speak. And he was more worried about money than he was anything else. And in the end, he betrayed the Lord Jesus with a kiss. A sign of friendship. A sign of friendship. And Peter wants them to know that none of this took the Lord by surprise. None of this was unexpected because, in fact, David had written about that. So if you'll turn to Psalm 69. David quotes this psalm. I'm sorry, Peter quotes this psalm that David wrote. In verse 25. Let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents. David was under attack and David said this about his enemies. But Peter said that that was really written about Judas. So notice what he says. Let's go back to Acts and look what he says. And those men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was the guide to them that took Jesus. Jesus was not taken by surprise by what Judas did. He was well aware of who he was. He was well aware of his character. Judas had a choice. He did not have to do it. I believe that he made his choice. And we have this interesting balance that we see throughout Scripture where man chooses and he ends up choosing what's God's will. God didn't choose for him. It's a great mystery. We can't explain it. And we see that in the crucifixion. At the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches that great message. Turn over to chapter 2, if you would, and let's look at what Peter says. Verse 22, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourself also know him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain him. Man had his part, and God full well knew what was going to happen. And so you have this balance that's presented over and over again in Scripture of a sovereign God and a man who has a choice. And I wish I could explain it to you. But I have this finite mind, I have an infinite God. And all I have to tell you is I have to trust it. And I think it's explained over and over and shown over and over again in scriptures. And rather than explain it to you, I want you to understand that it takes faith to accept something my mind can't quite comprehend. It's a mystery. But notice what he says. The Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David, spake unto us concerning Judas. He attests to the fact that David was writing under inspiration. That the words David wrote were, yes, about his enemies, but as with most prophecies, had a further and fuller fulfillment in a later day. And that fulfillment was in Judas. And so he quotes this. 
And he says, for he was numbered with us and has obtained part of the ministry. Now, when we come to verse 17 and verse 18, I believe this is Luke inserting what actually took place. I don't think Peter said this. I think this is Luke's comments. Luke was a physician. He's extremely detailed. And he gives you detail that you don't find anywhere else. And he inserts this detail. Now, this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and his bowels gushed out. Let's turn over to Matthew 27. Judas, to me, is probably the saddest character in the scriptures. And I'll tell you why. Judas, to me, is one of the saddest characters in the scripture. Verse 20, uh, chapter 27 of Matthew, and we're going to start reading at verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I believe that Judas was a witness to the trial of the Lord Jesus. The previous verse says, and when they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor, I believe as they led him away, they led him past Judas as he stood there observing all that was taking place. And Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver and the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for, for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and brought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Notice some things here about Judas, if you would. He saw he was condemned. He repented of himself. We like to preach about repentance and we like to talk about repentance. But I want to tell you that it has to be the right type of repentance. It's not enough to repent. Judas repented. Judas was sorrowful. Listen what he says in verse 4, saying, I have sinned and I have betrayed innocent blood. We love to bring people to that point where they recognize that they're sinners, where they're ready to repent. That's a good place to bring a sinner to because there's no need for a savior if you're not a sinner. And notice Judas repented. Judas confessed his sin. But here's the saddest part. Is Judas returned to the religious leaders of the day for forgiveness. And they had nothing to offer him. My guess is that we each know someone who realizes they're a sinner, is even sorrowful over their sin, would even repent of their sin, and yet they don't turn to the only one who can forgive sins. 
They turn their religion. They might turn to a vice. They might even turn to suicide, as Judas ended up doing out of desperation. And why Judas to me is the saddest person in the scriptures, because Judas walked side by side with the Lord Jesus for three and a half years. And Judas never understood that he was God. Jesus would heal people and say, rise up and walk. No, he'd say, your sins be forgiven you. And then when they challenge him on that, then he would say, is it easier for me to say that or rise up and walk? And Judas witnessed that time and time and time again. But when it came time to confess his sins, when it came time for him to look for forgiveness, did he turn to the Lord Jesus? He turned to religious leaders. And what was their response? What is that to us? We can't help you. They had used him for their purposes and to their end. They had no forgiveness to answer. And I sincerely believe that just like Paul, who came to his senses, who was a murderer and a blasphemer and was forgiven through the abundant grace of Jesus Christ, that Judas, if he had turned to the Lord Jesus and asked for forgiveness, he would have found it. And he did not. Let's look at one more passage, 2 Corinthians 7, if you would. We preach a lot about repentance. We preach a lot about sorrow. But I want to tell you, it has to be the right type. There's two great examples in the scripture of sorrow and repentance that do not lead to salvation. One is Judas. And the second one we find in Hebrews 12. Okay, let's look at it. Russ was going to tell me who it is, and I stopped him short. Anybody know who it is? See, I just got done preaching at camps, and you do a lot of interaction and ask people questions and have them respond. Who knows who it is? Russ? Anyone else? Seesaw. Seesaw. Let's look at Esau, if you would. And it's, it's, it's Hebrews 12 and verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. No place for repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. He was sorrowful about the consequences of his action. He wasn't sorrowful about the sin against God. The great example of a true confession is found in Psalms 51. If you don't read Psalms 51 ever so often, where David said, Against thee and thee only have I sinned. And we would think, well, you know, what about Bathsheba and her husband? And there were a whole bunch of people he seemed to have sinned against. But he recognized that all sin is first before God. And if we're going to repent, the first place to go for repentance is to, towards God. Make it right with God and then make it right with the person you sinned against. All right, 2 Corinthians 7. 
I promise we're going to get to Matthias. Verse 9. Paul's writing to them again, and, and as you know, in the first book of 1 Corinthians, there was a person placed under, de- under discipline. And now Paul's going to talk about that, and he's going to say this. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, and you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. He's suggesting that there's two types of repentance. There's two types of sorrow over sin. One brings about salvation and one brings about death. Sometimes people ask me, how can I tell when I'm being convicted by the Spirit and when it's the devil attacking me? And I'll tell you this, my answer is always the same. When the Spirit convicts, he brings about godly repentance and there's a change in your life and you move forward. When the Spirit attacks your conscience and says, no, God really hasn't forgiven you, you really haven't dealt with this, you really haven't repented, you freeze in position and you move nowhere. And Satan wins every time he can stop you dead in your tracks. If you confess and return and are godly in sorrow. Now notice what godly sorrow is. Verse 11, For behold, the selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. To be careful that you don't sin again. That you don't keep repeating it. If, if you say, my wife, has, my wife asked me not to talk about her when I preach, but ever so often I'm tempted, like tonight, and so I'll do it. I have to apologize and repent afterwards, but my wife says you you, re, you say sorry too too easily, and she's right. Because if I repeat the same mistake two days later, I really wasn't sorry because I really haven't repented because there's been no change. So notice what he says: What carefulness a rod in you? What clearing of yourself, what backing away, what makes sure it never happens again, what indignation, not indignation at the person who accused you and not indignation at the person who pointed out that you're at fault, but indignation in yourself that you know you did wrong and it's not going to happen again and disappointment in yourself if it should happen again. What fear, what vehement desire, what zeal. What zeal, yea, what revenge. In all these things you have proved yourself to be clear of this manner. It's when we stop doing it and do it right and we're concerned about it and we clear ourselves of the matter, that's true repentance. We're not sorrow, sorrowing and repenting because of the consequences. We've changed inwardly. We've responded inwardly. And that's godly repentance. We like to say, yeah, I repented of that. Have you cleared yourself of it? Do you have a zeal about it? And you're indignant about it. Or are you slipping right back into the same sin and the same offense? I would suggest to you that if that's true, 
that is the sorrow of the world which worketh death. It's not godly sorrow. It's not godly sorrow. All right, back to the Acts, if you would. First chapter. We're look at verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, and his, and his bishopric let him take. The second quotation is from Psalms 109.8. We read that. And it says, and his office, if you would, it's the same word translated bishop or office or elder in other places. Let another take. And so Paul, so David writes, Paul believes it's inspired. Paul knows the scripture. I'm sorry. Peter knows the scripture. Peter reads the scriptures. And Peter says, we need to replace him. Now, some people have questioned this replacement. I do not. I believe without the Holy Spirit, from what the Lord Jesus had taught them, they did what they believed that the scripture told them to do. Now, notice what they do. Wherefore, these men, which have accompanied with us all this time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So they're looking at the men who've been with them the whole time. From when? Beginning with the baptism of John. And I believe that's the baptism that John performed on the Lord Jesus. Beginning there, until the same day that he was taken up from us, which is, was a few verses before when he was raised up, into heaven must be ordained to be a witness to his resurrection. Judas was gone. They said, we went out in two by twos. We went out in twelves. We need to have twelve again. I believe the scriptures support us having twelve. We need to choose someone who has been with us this whole time, who's a witness to the resurrection, because when we go out to testify, we want to do so in twos. And we want to establish the witness by twos. And so we want to have even number, and we want to have twelve. And they appointed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. They come down to two. I believe there were more that were there the whole time, but they come down to two. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the heart of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. And they asked for guidance as to the one that should be chosen. And this is what it says that he may be part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgressions fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This is the last time that you'll see the casting of lots in Scripture. It was a practice in the Old Testament. It was practiced often in the Old Testament. It was taken that God directed the casting of lots. If they prayed to God, that God would direct to the passing of lots. Why is it that this is the last time we read it in the New Testament? Because a few days later, we have this great event that we call Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit came, and as, as the Lord Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit will lead us into truth. We don't need to cast lots anymore because the Holy Spirit is supposed to be our guide. We like to say that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. 
But if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us, we might as well be casting lots because we're not allowing him to be the head of the church. In Colossians 2, that's one of the things he writes to the church, that you're not holding the head. It's something that must be guarded against. What do we know about Matthias? I would say there's several things we know about Matthias. Number one, that he was faithful. That he was faithful. How do I know that? John 6 and 66. We read this a number of times in scripture, but this is the one we're going to reference, but you would find more references to it because this isn't the first nor the last time that it happened. John 6 and 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? And then Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art Christ, the son of the living God. Matthias was there and did not depart because we know he was there from the very beginning. So when the going got tough and, and persecution started, there were many who departed. Matthias was not one of them. I would say that means that he was faithful, that he realized that Jesus was the Christ and that he remained and he was devoted. Now, I'll tell you why I believe he was devoted. He was devoted to Christ. And I'll tell you why, because I'll put myself in his shoes. Have you ever been somewhere where there's an inner circle and you're not part of it? Some of you have to think back to high school. Some of you can think more recently. But there's an inner circle, and you're not part of it. Here's Matthias. He's not one of the 12. There were many times that the 12 was taken apart for special teaching. There were many times the 12 were treated differently. Matthias was not one of the special ones. He was not in the inner circle. But he was faithful, and he was devoted. For three and a half years, he followed not being in the inner circle. I don't know that I could have done that. If you ask me, well, we have great plans for you now. Just go teach Sunday school for three and a half years, and we'll let you know when we need you. We're going to have a meeting, but you're not invited. We're going to do some special discipling, but maybe later. I'm sure the Lord was gracious, and we would not be. But it's obvious that there was ranks in even in the disciples. You have the top four, you have the second four, and you have the third four. And we see Peter, James, and John mentioned often. And even in the, even in the disciples, there were ranks and divisions, and the Lord treated some specially. Only took three up to the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, I don't know if I was an outsider how long I could be devoted enough to remain an outsider. 
if you know what I mean. I don't know, but I'm not sure I'd make it three and a half years. But here's Matthias there every step of the way for three and a half years. He'd been with Jesus. He'd been with Jesus the whole time from the beginning, from the baptism of John, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. He was there the whole time. And then the last point, he was a witness to the resurrection. Because in order to be able to testify, he had to be a witness to the resurrection. As you read on to Acts, they were in prison many times, and he was numbered with the 12. He went to prison on a number of occasions. We know almost nothing about him. And yet, I think as we read these verses, there's four marks of a disciple, of a follower of Jesus Christ that we can deduct from this. And I have to look at them and ask myself that. Am I faithful? Would I be willing to follow when others depart? When the going gets tough, am I still going to be a follower? And that was true of Matthias. I, I don't know. I have to tell you, I have not faced severe persecution. Matthias did, and he still followed. A mark of a disciple. Was he devoted? I think he was devoted. I'm not sure if he asked me to clean the restrooms for the next three and a half years, telling me and leaving me out of the inner circle how long I'd stay around. Not saying he was cleaning restrooms, but that's something I would think. You don't know what he did. We're not told what he did. We just know he wasn't in the inner circle, and yet he was devoted and faithful. I would suggest to you a mark of a disciple is someone who's devoted. Someone who was willing to take the second place. Someone who was willing to not be part of the inner circle and continue to be faithful. I don't know about you, but I think I would struggle with that position. And yet here he is, at the end, still there, still faithful. We don't, we're not told how many. There's 120 in the room. Some of those were women. We don't know. They, they ended up selecting two. We don't know how many this was true of, but we know it was true of Matthias. And then the third mark of a, of, of a disciple is someone who had been with Jesus. As you read the scriptures, you see that there were many who had excuses why they didn't follow Jesus. In the great parable, one bought me a cow, married a wife, have to bury my father. They all come up in scripture, but we don't read that of Matthias. You know, the disciples had to be called a number of times. And it wasn't until the Lord came and showed Peter that he was a better fisherman than Peter that Peter finally gave up his boats and followed the Lord Jesus. But here, we don't read about that of Matthias. He followed him, and he was there from the beginning. Not in the inner circle, but faithful, devoted, and he was with Jesus. I think he absorbed the teaching as well as anyone. A mark of a disciple is someone who'd been with Jesus. That becomes a question I have to ask myself. Do I reflect that I've been with Jesus? Am I spending time 
getting to know him. Paul, we talked about that this morning. Paul's desire was to know Christ. I think Matthias knew him. I don't think Matthias could have continued to follow him and follow him and follow him unless he knew him and realized who he was. As opposed to Judas who was with him and in the inner circle who never, ever understood who the Lord Jesus was. I believe Matthias knew it. And that's why he was faithful. And then the last one, he was a witness to the resurrection. We talked about the power of the resurrection. We don't know. Most of the disciples were shocked at the resurrection. They thought their hopes and everything about the kingdom had died. But it had not. It was alive. And the Savior was alive. He could have went home after the death of Jesus, but he didn't. He was with the disciples. He was there the whole time. Are you discouraged? I, I, I can be discouraged. I can feel like quitting at times. I can have circumstances come up that go, what's it matter? Why am I doing this? It feels like I'm pounding my head against a brick wall. Matthias stayed the course. Matthias was there. When others left, he did not. I'm sure there were others who left after the crucifixion. We know there was at least two that were on the road to Emmaus having given up hope. When the Lord walked beside them and explained the scriptures to them, and they returned. We don't read that Matthias ever left. He was there. How many left? I don't believe Matthias did, and he was able to be a witness to the resurrected Christ. Marks of a disciple. We have two great contrasts here. We have one who was an intimate in the inner circle, Judas, who repented and was sorrowful of his sin, but never recognized where to turn for salvation. He turned to religion. You know, I want to make it really clear that some people think I'm religious. I want to tell you, I don't want to ever be religious. I want to tell you that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Judas never did. He ate meals with him. He walked beside him. He never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Christianity is about having and knowing the Savior. Judas never did. In contrast, Matthias was not in the inner circle. He did not see some of the great things that Judas did. He did not hear some of the great teaching that Judas did. But he knew the Savior. And he knew who he was. And when others departed, he stayed because he recognized that Jesus was the Christ. Whom else shall we go? Who else has the words of eternal life? We sang a song, what would you do with Jesus? What, do you know him? Where are you turning for eternal life? Are you turning to religion, religious leaders? Maybe you realize you're a sinner. Maybe you realize there's something wrong and things aren't right. And you need something more. Well, the verse behind us tells us a great verse. See it every time I come here. 
There's only one who can give you rest. It's not religion. It's not a vice. It's definitely not death. There's only one who can give you rest, and it's the one who died for you. There's only one who can forgive sins and give you peace. And that's when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Judas never recognized that. Judas never understood that. And to me, he's the saddest man in the scriptures because he had more light and more knowledge than anyone else who ever rejected Christ. And then you have Matthias, who I believe had less light and less knowledge, but was faithful, devoted to the very end. What a contrast. Which one are you? Which one are you? Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we give you thanks. Father, we see these two men, one who had all the light possible and yet rejected you as Savior. One who we see is so sad that he turned not to the only one who can save, as we know there's no other name given under heaven where my men must be saved. But he turned to religious leaders who could offer him nothing. He was sorrowful over his acts and the consequences, but he did not see himself as a sinner against God in need of God's mercy and God's grace. And then we see Matthias, devoted, faithful, one who never quit, what a true disciple. Father, we would see these marks of discipleship and we would be challenged by them. And we would realize that we're often discouraged and we often are ready to quit. And we're ready to turn aside. And we see this man that for three and a half years faithfully followed, not as an insider, not as an intimate, but he followed out of a devotedness to the Savior. Oh, Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have. We would not focus on these two men, Father, but we would focus on the one that Matthias followed, the one that Matthias was devoted to, the one that Matthias was faithful to. And, Father, we would know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering so that we might be devoted to him, that we might be faithful to him, and that, Father, we might be encouraged as we focus on the Savior. Father, we give you thanks again for this opportunity to speak and to read. We pray we might meditate on these thoughts so that we might, Father, be encouraged by them as we would seek to glorify you in all that we do. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his willingness to come and die in our place. We pray for any who might not recognize him as the only way of salvation. And ask that you would bring about conviction in their heart, Father, so that they might believe in their heart and confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his precious name, our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.